Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Once again, it's great to have you. What a great service we've already experienced, and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord is still going to take to us. Our last missionary for this, this morning, uh, Stephen and Erica Switzer, are going to the country of Honduras, and uh, we're glad to have them with us. So I'll call your attention to the screen, and you'll get to hear their story and some of what God's doing in, in their ministry, and then Stephen's going to come and preach for us. So watch the screen, please. In a third world country like Honduras, local family services are practically non-existent. So when a single mom like Carmen has the opportunity to work, but no daycare services exist, baby Sarita and her eight-year-old sister Maricela are left home alone while their mom works. It's the only option if she wants to make enough money to feed her girls. A situation like Carmen's is one of the most common reasons children end up in orphanages in Honduras. The lack of community service or welfare assistance results in children being taken away simply because of poverty and lack of support, despite their desire to love them well. And for decades, orphanages have been the only solution for these vulnerable children. We formed Identity Mission after over eight years of working alongside a variety of orphanages across Honduras. We realized that no matter how hard our team and the orphanage staff worked, we could not replace what transpires through the love of a family. From our experiences, we saw firsthand what research has already proven, that a child develops best in a family. Since 2015, Identity Mission has been leading the movement towards family-based care solutions by establishing the first private foster care program in the country, as well as launching a family preservation program focused on keeping at-risk families together, ensuring that their children never know what it is like to be unnecessarily separated from their families. And since most youth currently growing up in orphanages will be unable to enter family-based care, Identity Mission additionally created a mentorship program that provides community for these youth. In fact, all of Identity Mission's efforts to keep kids and families and surrounded by community are accomplished in partnership with the local church, welfare offices, and community partners. Every success we can claim is because of the work God is doing here in Honduras, and secondly, because of the amazing partners that work with us. The local church and community is invaluable when it comes to supporting families and vulnerable children. Together, we can find solutions that don't hurt children and that keep them in the love of a family. It is undeniable that children form their identity in the atmosphere of family. When family is stripped away from them, children lose their sense of identity and belonging, which will have long-term impacts on their adult life. Identity Mission is dedicated to work until together we see a nation where every child has the opportunity to develop their identity within a loving family.
So that wasn't uh, my wife and I in that video. I know we look a lot like Tara and Jorge, but uh, that was actually uh, the, the founders and CEO of, uh, of Identity Mission that, that we're going to be working with when we get down to Honduras. They're two of the most amazing people uh, we've ever met, and I'm really glad you guys got to see that video here a little bit uh, of their perspective on how they got started. Uh, we've been working with them. Uh, Erica has actually been functioning as the Chief Operating Officer of Identity Mission for the past few years already. Uh, and, and we just fell in love with them the moment we met them. We met them at a conference in Honduras and just got to hear their heart because uh, we'd been going to Honduras a lot uh, before the time that we met them. We had seen uh, a lot of different uh, uh, orphanages and, and a whole spectrum of orphan care in the country of Honduras and, and seen a lot of different things. And, and in our minds, we knew we wanted to, to serve these kids. We wanted to do what was right by them. And so we thought we need to provide them with a good meal. We need to provide them, you know, with a bed to sleep in. These are the things that kids need. And, uh, and hearing from Tar and Jorge, they, they open our eyes up to a new vision that we're so excited to partner with of, you know, when, when a kid is separated from their family for whatever reason, and, and there's a lot of reasons we can get into and why that happens in a, in a country like Honduras. But when a kid is separated from their family, the answer isn't uh, a great orphanage. The answer isn't uh, a warm meal. The answer to a loss of a family is a family. Uh, and so catching that vision and seeing how important that is and seeing, seeing how the love of a family really is how we're meant to develop and how children are, are meant to develop as, as God has created us, it, it's just been such an eye-opening experience for us. And we're so excited uh, to get to go down there and work with those programs that that video talked about, with family preservation, helping uh, to keep families together that would be separated, not necessarily for, for reasons that, uh, that even a parent passes away or whatever, but just because of reasons of poverty, a family has a tough time holding on to their own kids. There's ways that we can com combat that issue in a real way and help keep families together that want to care for and love their kids. We're, we're uh, able to move in the arena of foster care so that kids that are separated from their families uh, have an opportunity to be reconnected with the family and to grow up in the context of the family that we're meant to. And then we also have that youth mentorship program. We're so excited uh, to just get to walk alongside uh, these, these teenagers so that they can see uh, that even though they may feel forgotten by society and may feel like they're at running out of options, that that's not how God sees them. And we see a future for them that is far brighter and far bigger than anything they might imagine. We believe in the power of family uh, at Identity Mission. We're just so excited to just be able to push that forward and see kids develop their identity in the context of a family. But speaking of family... Uh, I'm excited to be here this morning. This is cool to be here. Uh, and this church specifically, you guys make me feel like family uh, being here, which uh, is probably because if you don't know, my mom and dad are uh, Stephen Shelley Switzer. So it is family here. Uh, and so some things you need to know about my family. First and foremost, uh, today is Palm Sunday. It's also April 14th, which means it's my mom's birthday. Uh, so if anybody didn't know that, now you do. Uh, she turns 40 today, okay? So uh, really excited for her. This is like the dozenth year that she's turned 40. It's so good, uh, and we love that. Uh, and so uh, her sisters are here, Jody and Don. They're going to come up and sing a song uh, in Spanish. I'm just kidding. Sit down. Don't come up here. Uh, you are not welcome to have a microphone on this stage. But um, no, we're excited to celebrate uh, her birthday, excited to be here for this weekend. It just all worked out really well. It's like she schemed it or something, but uh, it's cool being here for that. But another thing you need to know about my family and about my parents, um, many of you already know them, like you've, you've interacted with them, you've got to know them, you've heard them uh, up on this stage, and uh, 
And they're really cool people. It's, it's one of those things you, you hear said about some people sometimes, but like they're better up close even than when you see them far away. Like they're, they're genuine people. They love God the way they talk about it and they love their family uh, the way that, that we would, uh, and even at Identity Mission, that we inspire parents to love their kids. My, my parents have done an excellent job of that. But one way specifically that they do that, I have seen my parents, either one of them or together, I've seen them mad like three times in my entire life. Like they don't get mad, and, and, and that's not just like me like saying nice things because they slipped me a 20 before I got up here. Like, this is real. Like, my parents are not angry people. They, it, it's hard to really, like, get under their skin and make them mad. But I'll tell you, each one of the times I remember them getting angry was not about something that necessarily happened to them. Uh, I, we, we were at different churches when I was growing up and stuff, and I've heard a lot of people say mean things about them. I've seen people treat them in ways they shouldn't be treated, and you would think they would react to that, but they were very gracious and very accepting. But I will tell you what will set them off is if you disrespect one of their kids. If you, if you hurt one of their kids, uh, she may be small, but you should be afraid of that woman right there because she will come after you. Okay, there, there is something that happens when when a boy would take one of my sisters out on a date and they weren't a gentleman on that date, there would be a reaction to that. There, there, was, there were uh, responses to people that, and teachers even and coaches that would have something negative to say to me where I would actually have to hold my parents back and be like, I'll take care because there's an anger when it's your kids and they love their kids and they will go to war for their kids. And I think that is very close to the heart of our God. There's a verse I want to read and it's, it's probably the least Jesus-sounding thing that Jesus ever said. But I, I feel like we need to see this this morning. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That part we like, right? Like, oh, Jesus, that's beautiful. Yes, if we receive a child, we receive you. You're so good. You're so great. And then he says this, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, this, like, this next verse, I'm telling you, this doesn't sound like Jesus. This sounds like something out of a mafia movie. He says, it would be better to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That doesn't sound like the Jesus that, that I know. Like, that sounds really harsh and, and kind of violent and a little spooky. And, like, why is Jesus talking to people like this? And, but I think there's, there's a reality in this statement that Jesus is, is violently and he is passionately, he has a great love for kids and for his kids and for these little ones and for these innocent ones. Like there, there is this, this passion, there is this, uh, this, this, this violence that comes along with this love that he would do anything for these kids, that messing with these kids is not an option. It's, it's simple. It is a fierce love that he has. And so knowing that, there's, there's a question that we, we're going to have to ask today. And, and we're, I'm all about asking hard questions and trying to find out what Jesus says about these hard questions. And so here's the question. On, on this side of things, we know some facts. We know that, uh, that God is good and that God is love and that Jesus fiercely loves kids and fiercely loves us. We know that God is all powerful. We have all that over here, but on the other side of things, we see that there is real pain in our world and there are kids who are mistreated every day and there are kids growing up outside of the context of a family and there, 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 there are these great atrocities and abuse and all these things happening right here in our world and we find ourselves somewhere in the middle and we have to ask the question, if God is so good, then why are things so bad? If there's a good and powerful God who really is alive and at work, then how are things turning out the way they turn out? If, things, if God is so good, how can things be so Bad. This is a question that we're not the first ones to ask. In fact, people have been asking this for a long, long time. We're going we're gonna to look in, in the Bible today about somebody who uh, had a question like this for Jesus. But, but even if I could just give you a quick history lesson, 
in ancient Rome, uh, there, it was about the, around the time that Jesus walked on the earth, around that time in history, there was a practice uh, known as exposure. And I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's something I've recently been introduced to in the past couple of years. But, but in this Roman culture, what mattered in Roman culture was Rome. Okay, Roman culture was all about the Roman Empire. It was about the strength of the empire and power and conquering and taking things over. This is what they were all about. And so knowing that society was the most important thing, the individual could often get left out because the individual didn't matter unless the individual could contribute to society. So this practice of exposure was a very simple, violent, terrible practice that was going on and widely accepted by culture where if any child was born with any sort of deformity, they would simply leave the child in the wilderness or at a dump or, or wherever they could and just leave the child and they would say, we're not killing the child, we're just exposing the child to the elements. If she survives, he survives, then they survive and that's great. But, but if they don't, they don't because they weren't going to contribute to our society anyways. This horrible, horrible practice where kids were just left on the side of the road or left in, in, in actual pile, piles of dung, just left there to just... You know, what happens, happens. If It's not God's will for them to, to survive. It's not in the, in the will of our gods for them to, to continue in this life because they're not going to contribute anything to Rome. They're not going to be a part of our society. And these deformities could mean anything. It could be a sickness. It could be a physical ailment. But it could also just be that a family had grown too large and they said, we don't need another kid. So just, you know, leave that one on the side of the road. We don't need it anymore. It's a horrible practice. And many people knew it was horrible, but they felt like there was nothing they could do about it because, well, it's... It is what it is. You know, it's, it's, the government says, okay, it's law, like it's fine. Like we could try to fight back, but what, I'm just one person. What can I really do to help? And this horrible, horrible practice continued for a long time in, in Rome. This, this horrible thing just kept happening to all of these kids being left to die because they weren't wanted by their parents. This terrible thing happened. And, and at the time, the question that we just asked had to be asked, okay, so Jesus loves kids. Jesus would tie a millstone around your neck and throw you in the ocean if you were to hurt his kids and cause them to stumble. So how is that happening? How can there be a good God and how could kids be left on the side of the road to die? What is going on? What, what, how does this, you know, come together? Where, where is the logic in this kind of culture? If God is so good and he cares for these little ones so much, then where is he in this culture? Now, I've got good news and bad news for us today. The good news uh, is that God is not afraid of that question. He's not upset with us for asking that. He's not concerned that we would, that we would bring that up. He's not like, oh, no, they found me out. Like, there's, there's no fear in God in this moment. But the bad news is that this question actually raises another question. And the second question he raises is going to come right back to us. And it's going to be a question and a challenge for us that we can't pass off on anyone else. We have to respond to today. And I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 14, if you want to go ahead and go there. And it's Appropriate that we're going to be reading there because the story takes place just a few days uh, before Jesus is going to go through what we all know he's going through the, this, this upcoming week that we're celebrating and looking forward to. It's, uh, it's, it's just moments before he's going, to be, uh, he's going to be arrested and stand trial and he's going to go to the cross to die. Like before all these things that, that all of us are generally aware of is, is, is what we celebrate at Palm Sunday and Easter and all this. We, we understand these, these moments and it's right before then, in a similar time period that we're in right now, in the midst of all of this, that, that Jesus has a conversation with his closest disciples. And, and it's an amazing, it's a prophetic conversation in John chapter 14. I'll give you some of like the spark notes here. He comforts them in this amazing conversation by telling them things like, like that they're going to know the way 
to the place that he's going because he is the way. That's a really cool poetic thing to say, and he's, he's explaining how good he is and how much he loves them. He tells them that they know God because they know Jesus, and he makes this association that they are one and the same, and it's a beautiful thing. He says that they will have power beyond their wildest dreams because his Holy Spirit is going to come, and he's going to work in them. He actually says that they're going to be able to do more than he was able to do because of the Holy Spirit working in them. This is this incredible, incredible conversation where basically he's telling them that he started this mission, he's going to go and he's going to finish his part of the mission, but he's going to continue the mission by handing it off to them. He's got more to be done, and there is power, and there is victory like we sang already. There's a battle that's going to be fought, but the war is already run, won, and he's handing this off saying, I've got a great mission left to go, but it's your turn. Like, I'm going to do my part, I'm going to do what I'm here to do, and then I'm going to leave you with my Holy Spirit, and you have work to do. You have something that you need to do. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what that is, but, but I need you to know this is your turn. Now, that's amazing, and it's beautiful, and it's awesome that, that Jesus would say that, but it's also incredibly intimidating. Because what's happening right now is this Jesus, who, if you remember, if you know about a guy named John the Baptist, uh, who I assume is what Baptist churches are named after, who knows. But uh, John the Baptist, who's, who is a big deal, and, and people came from all over the world to hear him speak and hear him talk about this Jesus who is coming. When he saw Jesus, he said, there he is. There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am unfit to untie his sandals. And now Jesus is saying, these sandals are now the shoes that you ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors, you're going to fill these shoes. That's an intimidating challenge to receive, that you are going to carry out the work that the Son of God has been carrying out, that you're going to continue a mission that this man who just said he and God are one, he's handing this mission off to you. That feels like a lot. So Jesus speaks to them in verse 18, and he says, now, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Now, I want to pause right there, because how often do we hear the church referred to as orphans? I hear a lot of comparisons about the church that the Bible speaks to that are beautiful as, as the bride of Christ and we are greatly loved and we're beautiful and, and there's a great plan for our lives. And as the body of Christ that each one of us has a role to play and a part to play and Jesus is the head who's leading us to do great things. I've heard these amazing comparisons that are so, so good. But man, how often do we talk about ourselves as the, the helpless and the lonely and the needy and the desperate orphans who are the adopted sons and daughters of God? How often do we see ourselves as we really were as completely helpless, but a, a good and amazing God who saw us in that state when we had nothing to offer him. We were helpless and we were begging and we needed the love of a father. And this father who had everything at his disposal saw us in our need and he said, I want them. And the church is, is this body, this group of people who, as, as in our helpless and our hopeless state, were, were seen by this amazing father who said, I want you. I want you to come and I want you to be a part of my family. I've got a purpose for you. I've got an inheritance for you. I've got a future for you. I've got a promise for you. I want you to come and be with me. It's a beautiful start to the story where Jesus says, you're not, yes, you're, you're orphans now, but that's not how you're going to remain because I'm going to come to you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to adopt you as my own and I have a plan for you. It's beautiful, but he doesn't stop there. He continues, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I 
am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That sounds like a weird math equation, but basically what he's, he's saying is, is what you're going to start to understand. Just like I have said, me and the Father, me and God are one, what's going to happen is I'm going to come to be with you, and you are going to work with us. You are going to work hand in hand with God the Father. You are going to be a part of this mission in a real and a practical way. This isn't just about me and the Father anymore. This is about all of us working together. He continues, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. It's a kind of an ominous promise, but he, he simplifies it when he talks about his commands. He says, I'm not going to leave you alone, but, but I'm going to continue to do the work that I've started through you. He references these commands, which if you read through the Gospels and you read the commands that Jesus had, they, there were a lot of different commands. He speaks on a lot of things, but a lot of them started to kind of have the same theme. He said things like, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to do for the least of these as you would do for me. I want you to be reconciled. I want you to get it right with your brothers and sisters. Before you even come to worship me, I want you to make sure everything is right with them. If somebody strikes you on one cheek, I want you to turn the other one. If somebody asks you to walk a mile, I want you to go an extra. I want you to go above and beyond in your capacity to love people. Overall, he had two big commands, two big encompassing ideas that, that he, he spoke to that kind of sum up everything else he had to say when he's talking about his commands. He had one that he called his great commandment where he said, you're going to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind, and you are also going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're going to love one another. You're going to love one another as you would love yourself, and you're going to love God with all of your heart. That's his great command, but his new command which takes that great command and even takes it a step further if we pay attention. He says, you're going to love one another, but not just as you would love yourself. You're not just going to treat other people the way you want to be treated. That's the golden rule. This is the next level to that rule. He says, you're going to love others as I have loved you. And in a few hours, he's about to show them what that love looks like. That love doesn't, doesn't stop at anything. That love isn't looking for a way out. That love isn't looking to love in the most efficient way possible. That love is looking to love in the way that is best for the people that we love, in the way that sacrifices whatever we have so that others would know that they are loved. Jesus is telling his disciples in this moment, like just tracking with me, that, that he's leaving and he's finishing a, 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 an amazing part of the mission, the part of the mission that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. The, he's winning the war, but the mission continues, the battle continues, and it's now theirs to fight. If they will do as he has commanded them, namely, if they will love, then they will be the ones carrying out this mission. There's more to come even after his departure. And it's, it's crazy and it's amazing and it's beautiful, but it brings us to the question we asked before that, that if we're all being honest, all of us had to have asked this question at some point in our lives. And it's asked by the most unfortunately named disciple there ever was. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, okay, if you don't know the Easter story, Judas Iscariot's the one who betrays Jesus. But there was another disciple also named Judas who had to have wished, like, Jesus would have just renamed him at this point. Just be like, can you guys call me Pete or something? Like, you already called Pete the other guy. Oh, can we just, can I get a new name? So anyways, Judas said, Lord, why do you intend to show yourselves to us and not to the world? That's a great question. He says, Jesus, if you are God, as you've just said, and now the plan is we're going to carry your name and your love and your greatness. That's so good. We're going to carry it to the whole world. Jesus loved that plan. That's really cool. But just let me push back. Uh, I have a thought. If you want that to happen, why don't you do it? Like, it, hmm. 
there's a whole world. Okay, let's get on the same page, Jesus. There's a whole world. Uh-huh. We're with you. You're like God now. You are going to die and come back to life is what you're saying. That's cool. Uh, if you can do that, like we saw you like feed 5,000 people with like a couple loaves of bread. So we know you can do anything. We know you're powerful. So if you want the whole world to know about your love and you want the whole world to feel your love and to see you and, and you want the whole world to experience you and know who you are, just a thought, why don't you do it? If you can do anything, why don't you do that? Why would you leave us in charge of this mission? Like that's an honor for us 11. Again, not the other Judas. We all know he's not going to be part of it. But like for the rest of us, like there's got to, why don't you just, why don't you do it? Basically what he's asking is, Jesus, if you love the world so much, why are you now outsourcing this part of the mission? Why are you asking us to take over this important, this crucial part of your mission, this worldwide part of your mission, if you really love the world the way you say you do? So Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. It doesn't feel like much of a response and and the disciples are definitely leaving this conversation so a little confused and so questioning. Okay, so Jesus has just said a lot of things. He's going to die. He's going to come back to life. That feels significant. We'll see what happens there. And, and, and we're, we got a lot of questions about that. But, 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 but we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that whole thing after everything else Jesus has said about. And, and like many conversations Jesus had with his disciples, they heard it, but they seem to have missed some of it. And if any of you are married to or know someone who has selective hearing, Jesus gets you, okay? He understands because his, his disciples were constantly hearing what he had to say and then just forgetting things or just pretending that he said something else because it makes more sense for them. And so we see a little bit later in the story, after Jesus had done all of the amazing things he said he was going to do, after he is arrested and he goes to trial and he's accused by an angry mob and, and he's sentenced to death by some passive leadership and he dies a shameful death outside of the city and, and, and people walk by and they can mock him and they can see him bleeding out and dying outside of the city. But Spoiler alert, if you've never been to an Easter service, he gets back up, okay, and he's, he doesn't stay dead, but a few days later, he stands up out of the grave, and he walks, and he appears to his disciples, and he's speaking to them, and it's amazing, and all the disciples who were questioning everything they believed the moment that he died, because they thought, man, this guy, we thought he was the son of God, and now he's dead, what do we do now, and Jesus gets up three days later, he's like, I told you I wasn't going to stay dead, okay, you have to listen, okay, and so they, they see him, and they're like, this is amazing, they eat some fish with him, which is weird, but it's cool, and so all of these incredible things are happening and the disciples are without a doubt they're amazed at everything that they have seen but they have forgotten what Jesus had said before in Acts chapter 1 it says in verse 6 so when they had come together they asked him Lord will you now at this time restore the kingdom to Israel in other words bringing it back to the unfortunately named Judas is question Jesus is now this is the time you're going to show yourself to the world right like Cool, you did it. You did the whole death and come back to life thing. Boom, nailed it. Now you're going to go on like the world tour, right? Like now is the time where we're going to get the bus and we're going to travel. Like there's not even a lot of stuff overseas yet. North America hadn't been founded. So we really just have to get like a few different countries. So we're going to go on tour. We'll be your roadies. I'll carry your equipment. I'm a strong guy. We only have 11 of us now because Judas is dead. But like we are ready to go. And the people like think this is the time. Jesus, now you're going to show yourself to the world. Now you're going to do it. Now your kingdom is here. You've done everything you said you're going to do. This is our moment and he said to them it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's a bizarre ending to that story. I don't know many stories that end with the person talking being beamed up into heaven, but this is what happens. And these disciples, these onlookers, are, they have a lot of questions. And we know that because if you keep reading, it says that they were just standing there staring up into heaven and some angels had to come and be like, hey, he's not coming back yet. He'll be back later, but not right now. And so they're just sitting there and they're shocked and they're in awe of what he just said. And there's this moment of what, us? We heard him say it before that there's going to be power in this Holy Spirit. That's really cool. But like, he really wants, this is us now. This is our mission now. This is our battle to fight. This is our, we have to carry out what he has started. How could Jesus have expected things to happen? How could he expect a movement to start this way? Beaming up into heaven, leaving this group of ragtag followers just standing there, staring up as he goes. That's an insane way to try to start a movement. That doesn't have any logic behind it. There is no strategy. There was not a good marketing campaign. This is not the way you start a movement. But within a few hundred years, it became overwhelmingly effective. 2,000 plus years later, in the middle of a corn farming community in a nation that is located outside of the scope of what the people knew existed in the world, we are here celebrating the fact that a guy named Jesus died and got back up out of the grave. We are singing songs about that in a place they didn't know existed. This movement was ridiculously effective. This movement that started with a guy who was murdered and then he ascended into a cloud, this kind of movement that started with 11 followers and a whole group of other people who had seen him die and come back to life, this movement of people who had just heard from this Jesus and were told, it's your mission now, this movement has changed the world. How does that happen? How does a movement like this get to the heights that it has gotten to in that short span of time in the way that it has. Jesus' plan worked amazingly, but here's the thing. I think it can still work in that same way today. Let me bring you back to that Roman practice of exposure, because some of you are upset at the way I left that, because you're like, well, that wasn't very hopeful. Like, are they still doing that in Italy right now? Like, no. Okay, so here's what happened. In Rome, we, we, we talked about this earlier. We, there was this group of people that showed up in this culture that had followed this guy named Jesus had heard about this Jesus and had decided to give their lives to him and decided that to take seriously what he said when he said, it's your mission, okay? You've got to go to the ends of the earth and you've got to bring my love and you've got to love people the way I love people where I didn't hold anything back, but I gave everything I had so that people would know that they are loved. And so these people, these Christians would go and they would go and they would wait at the dumps and they would wait at the dung piles and they would wait and walk the sides of the road looking for these children that were left to be exposed and they would pick these children up and they would bring them into their homes and they would adopt them as their own. And they loved these kids relentlessly and they loved these kids as if they were their own children. This was against everything that Roman culture taught. This was not just beyond the borders of Israel. This was beyond the borders of cultural understanding. Nobody thought this was the right thing to do because those kids had no value to society. There was no need for them. And these Christians said, no, this individual is someone that Jesus died for, and I will not leave them here to die. And they gave their lives for these kids. These early Christians carried the love of Christ beyond any borders of comfort or convenience or socially acceptable practices. They went against the grain of everything because that's what the love of Christ does. 
Love doesn't look for an easy way out. Love doesn't just apply a Band-Aid to a terrible situation. Love doesn't shrug and say, well, what can I do? It's culture. It's the way it is. Someone should really do something about it. Someone should really step up for these kids. That's sad. Hopefully a new president will come in or emperor or whatever. Hopefully a new Caesar is going to come in. He's going to fix this because that's so sad that what's happening to those kids. No, love says something wrong is happening. There is, there is a problem. There are people that don't know how much they are loved by God. There are orphans who don't know that there is a God who sees them just as they are and will not leave them abandoned. And love says, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to do something about that. Love realizes that there is a Holy Spirit who lives inside of us that sees those kids and sees the world the way that God sees it and will not leave things the way they are. Love realizes that the same God who defeated the grave for me lives in me and has a plan for them. Love like the love of Christ that he has for us. He he doesn't call us to love until it's inconvenient. Or to love unless it costs a little bit too much. Or to love in the most efficient way possible. Love calls us to lay down everything we have for someone else. For identity mission. When a child loses their family, we talked about it in the video, talked about it, the solution is family. This is not an easy task, don't get me wrong. In a lot of ways, it's a lot easier to build an orphanage than it is to start a foster care movement in a country. In a lot of ways, it's easier for a kid to be removed from their family and placed in an orphanage than it is to go to that family and to bring a social worker into that setting and to find out what the real problems are, what the real issues are that we can help and we can walk alongside them and we can love them as Jesus loves them so that that kid can have the life that Jesus wants for that kid. In a lot of ways, it's easier to turn your back on a 17-year-old who has known nothing but gangs and growing up in an orphanage his whole life and has the, the whole society and the whole culture has already deemed them a criminal, has already deemed them hopeless, has already canceled out their future. It's a lot easier to do the same thing and just say, oh, well, let's focus on the little, the little babies. They're so cute. Let's, let's forget about this kid, this kid with the face tattoos. He's spooky. Like, let's, let's focus on them. But that's not what love does. Love doesn't look at what's hard to love and say, ah, Better luck next time. I hope somebody does something about that. Love says we're going to go into the dark places because we have a light that we can shine. These are a few ways that Identity Mission has decided to fill the gaps and to bring love into the darkness and, and to those who were seen as unlovable. The, the success stories of this are incredible, but here's what I believe is more incredible. What's working there, what worked in Rome, as, as now you will see today, if you were to go and visit the land that was once ancient Rome, that was once occupied as, as a pagan territory where they worship many gods, there are now, the, like, the Catholic Church became the Church of Rome. And there are, there are basilicas built to a guy named Peter in, in the land that used to be ancient Rome where people go and they, they know about a Jesus. There are crosses all over the place that used to be ancient Rome where Christians used to be murdered in the streets and in the Colosseums. There are now crosses hanging where people know about a risen Savior in a place where he was once not wanted. Why? Because love went there. And because this, this Holy Spirit movement, these people didn't just say, okay, Jesus did something. Hopefully he'll come back and fix some things because this is a problem. They said, what are we going to do with the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us? Representing Jesus, not, not by standing against those that we disagree with, but by laying down everything we have on behalf of those that he loves. This is what changes everything. And if we believe that Jesus stood up out of the grave, then we need to accept that his mission to the world continues today and it continues with you and me. If we believe that Jesus stood up out of the grave, then we can no longer hide behind the question, why isn't our God showing up for fill in the blank? 
Where is God for the orphans in Honduras? Where is God for, for my neighbor down the street who is suffering? Where is God for, the, for these people that I love? Where is God for the abandoned, the hopeless, and the lonely? Where is God in this situation? We can't hide behind that question anymore. We need to start instead asking the question, how is the Holy Spirit going to use me to bring love into the darkness? See, God didn't turn his back on the world when he ascended into heaven, when Jesus ascended up into the clouds. He didn't turn his back on kids. He didn't turn his back on Honduras. He didn't turn his back on the abandoned. He didn't turn his back on the outcast or the broken or the hurting or the lost or the sick or the imprisoned or any of the least of these. Instead, he equipped billions of followers with his own Holy Spirit, and he called each of us to bring love into the darkness that's all around us. Jesus will never stop pursuing the hearts of the abandoned. He mobilized his adopted kids to go to them. Man, if you have been found by the infinite, the adopting love of Christ, then you get to be the answer to Judas, not Iscariot's, question. You get to show him to the world. I get to show him to the world. We get to play a part in the mission that started thousands of years ago in a in a place called Israel with a man who died and got back up out of the grave, we get to be a part of that story. If we believe he stood up out of that grave, then we get to bring his love to this world. It's unbelievably simple, but it's unimaginably effective. Love, just like he has loved us. Jesus, we do love you. And we're so thankful for the way that you love us. And we're so thankful this morning, God, that in the midst of everything that we go through in the midst of all that life throws at us, God, that you have won the victory, you have won the war, and you have called us to do something great with the faith that we have, Lord. You have called us to a world that is broken and dark and needs you desperately, God. I pray that we would be your hands and feet, that we would see ourselves as you see us and we would see those around us as you see them, God. God, send us out, send us into our community, into our world, across, across borders, God, and, and right in our own backyards, Lord, I pray that we would show love like you have shown it for us. God, we ask all of this in your name, and we pray all of this to you this morning. Amen. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed this morning, <clears throat> let's just take a moment and let, let God take his word as he speaks to us to respond to what he's saying. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, and I, I believe that he has across this audience, I pray that you'll take this few moments here and, and pray to him. Maybe there's someone this morning that you've not yet experienced that new life in Jesus Christ. The fact that as an orphan, he sent his son to save us and to make us part of his family. And you've not yet received that gift of eternal life and forgiveness of your sins and become a part of that family. God's calling to you today. He's saying, I, I love you and I gave my son, gave his life for you. Would you receive that gift? If that's you today, we'd, we'd love to show you how you can become a part of that family. Or maybe you are part of that family and God has just reminded you again today that now you have the privilege of taking that story to your neighbors, to your friends, maybe around the world. Maybe there's someone here that God is saying, I, I want you to take this message and he's got a location, a place, a, a ministry in mind for you or just to share with your friend, your neighbor, your family member about the good news of Christ.